Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. For those of you that may not have been here last week, we are continuing on a two-part sermon series. So last week was the beginning and the introduction, and this week is the end. And what we've been focusing on is Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, in fact, the last third of Romans chapter 8. And so I invite you to go home and read uh, the other section And if you're so led, you can go to our website and listen to the sermon from last week or get the CD. But last week kind of laid the foundation for this powerful conclusion to this passage that's, by the way, often read at funerals because there's such power to this passage in terms of this whole notion that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. As I mentioned last week, Romans 1 through 8 is known as the gospel according to Paul. It's Paul writing out the gospel in a very deliberate way and unfolds it in a wonderful way. And then as he begins to complete his description of the gospel and the power of the gospel, you come to the end of Romans chapter 8 and really you get this sense, not only the power of the gospel, but what's underneath it, the power of God's love. And that's why he says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That what he's driving at is when you consider God and you consider his creation and then you consider him sending his son and his son dying on the cross for you as his gospel unfolds. What's underneath it all is this love that nothing can separate us from. But we need to understand that we ourselves need to accept this love it's our choice and that we return this love that we begin to live in this love relationship with him which is why last week we laid this foundation with Romans 8:28 that talks about that nothing can separate us for those who love God and are called according to his purpose that all things work together for good Which is what the verse says. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That in other words, this love that he offers, we have the opportunity to receive or to reject. But that he offers it. We have a free will. And what does this love look like? You know, when we talk about love in our culture... We talk about love in kind of generic terms. And some of you have heard this before, that in the Greek, there's actually four kinds of love. There's a word that is described or defined love, but there's four different words used in four different ways when it comes to what love is. The first is eros. It's where we get the word erotic love. It has to do with physical love. It has to do with passion. And it's interesting because it actually 
goes beyond that. It really talks about anything in our environment, in the creation, that we enjoy physically, that, that brings us, if you will, entertainment or fun that God has blessed us with. It's the physical creation, the physical universe that we're blessed to enjoy. And it's interesting that when we talk about passion, this is usually the word that most people are thinking about when they hear the word passion, right? It's not the other kinds of love. It's this kind of love. What do we have a passion for that's kind of eros love? Well, of course, someone that we say we are in love with. Sometimes that's in lust. But it's talking about in love. Okay? Another one, you have a passion about your football team. Now, that's one kind of love. Sort of. You have a passion for a certain kind of food or chocolate or coffee. And so we talk about things like that very passionately. But what about the other kinds of love? Because that is the most basic. And by the way, when we talk about all these four different kinds of love, you need to understand the whole notion and idea of these loves that we've been blessed with, they're all God's gift. Eros love is a gift from the Lord. The other kinds of love that we're about to talk about are a gift from the Lord. What do you do with it? See, we have the opportunity to use it so that we are blessed and we are a blessing to others, or we can corrupt it, we can abuse it, we can misuse it. The second kind of love is filia love. You know, it's like the term Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Although, if you've ever gone there for a sporting event and you're not part of their teams, you don't feel the love necessarily. But that's where you get this term brotherly love, friendship love. It's that notion of this is someone that I really enjoy being with. That we're like buddies. That we enjoy doing things together. And we care about each other. It's more than just, you know, going out and playing some kind of sport together. It's more than that. And it's that brotherly friendship or sisterly that we hold those people very dear. There's storge love that has to do with nurturing. A parent for a child. Or as a parent is declining, maybe a child for a parent. Or a nursemaid or a caregiver. That kind of sensitive nurturing Caring for someone when they have a struggle. When they have a weakness. And that's storge love. And then you have agape love. Really, that love, that word agape, actually became known because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That self-sacrificial love that's meant to be pervasive in us by the power of the Holy Spirit that really in many ways is meant to flavor or color all the other kinds of love that we've just mentioned. And the question is, do we allow that? And how those loves can be misused. Let me give you a biblical example first. You know, David, King David in the Old Testament, had several wives and a number of children. 
And so you have half-brothers and half-sisters. And this brother or this child of David's named Amnon had a half-sister by the name of Tamar. And Amnon, if you read the scripture, it says that he loved her. And the kind of love that he had for her wasn't your normal brother or sister love. He was drawn to her. He was attracted to her. And it was this Eros kind of love. Unfortunately, because she didn't return the love, he raped her. And then after the act, the scripture says he despised her. Isn't that strange? See, that's the corrupt nature of what we can do when we misuse this gift that God has given us in Eros love. And then it can lead to other bad things. Absalom, who was Tamar's full brother, kills his brother Amnon for doing this. And you think your family's dysfunctional. See, but that's what can happen. That's what can happen because of all the sickness. Because of the sin that corrupts the kinds of love that God intends for us to use for good. What about storge? Storge can be corrupted. That nurturing love, that caring love. For example, a parent for a child. That we allegedly so love this child that we smother the child. And we control the child. And we almost possess the child. Because we're bound and determined to either make this child a success or protect this child from anything wrong happening to them, or make sure that everything goes well for them and all their time is filled, or that we live our lives through them. And how that kind of love can become corrupt. The children become almost idols. And it's amazing for parents who do so much for their children... And neglect probably the most important thing. Many times. Because they're so driven towards their child being a success. They forget about worship. They forget about eternity. For this world. They live for this world. And that's how Storge becomes corrupt. You know, it's interesting. The Economist, the magazine this past week, had three articles on parents and parenting. Three. They were all brief articles. But they were talking about this whole notion of overdoing the parenting role. And two of the articles refer to helicopter parents. You all know what that is, right? Constantly hovering over the children and making sure they're really busy. One of the articles referred to parents being so stressed out because they want to fill all these kids. They want to make sure they're competing on all kinds of levels. You know, their violin lessons, their ballet lessons, their, their team sports, and their academics, of course. And they're running all over the place, and they're driving their kids nuts, and they're driving themselves nuts. And they're all stressed out. Gee, that's fun. You know what? One of the article's titles, it's entitled, Choose Your Parents Wisely. I mean, but it's interesting how that can become corrupt. Let's take the other end. When someone is taking care of the elderly and gets so tired, so stressed out, so frustrated that they begin 
becoming so controlling or even abusive. You see it on that end too. How storge love, because of our own needs, because of our own selfishness, can become corrupt. And you can do this with almost every kind of love in a lot of different scenarios. But you can't do it with agape love. You can't do it with that self-sacrificial love that Jesus modeled for us as he walked the earth, as he went to the cross for us. And that's why Jesus Christ and his love is meant to color every aspect of our lives, the whole of our lives. Which is why we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the whole of our being. And when we understand that that's the kind of love that we're talking about here, it's pervasive and it transforms us. It's not something that is simply intellectual. Yes, I believe God exists. As if that's going to transform your life. There's lots of people in our culture that believe God exists. There's lots of people in the world that believe God exists. That's, there's, that's a different kind of belief when you understand that what God is after is this love relationship. That we trust him. That we give our lives to him because he gave his life for us. That's what we're talking about. That's why all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That we seek to live for him in all ways. When it's simply an intellectual exercise, I mean, read James 2.19, for example. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. In other words, Satan knows who God is intellectually better than you do. He's dealt with him for thousands upon thousands of years. But he doesn't love him. He's not living in relationship to him. He's not seeking his purposes. He's seeking his own. And that's why this kind of relationship that we're talking about and this kind of love that's meant to break into our lives is not something that is temporary. It's not something that is strictly intellectual. It's that Jesus laid down his life for us so that we could give our lives to him and be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that anything we do when it comes to relationships and anything we do when it comes to morality comes out of this love for him and seeking his purpose. Now with that in mind, let's turn to the passage. We're just getting started, y'all. Okay, verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who, and actually some versions of the Bible say what? Because if you look at the list that, that Paul then lists, you will see a variety of, of descriptions as to the possibilities of that which could threaten this love relationship if we allow them. You read hardships, distress, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. You know, all the categories that he talks about, the rest of this particular chapter have to deal with three areas. One has to do with other people in the world around us. 
other people around us. Persecution can cause us peril. They can threaten us with, if you will, the sword. But they can't take away God's love in Christ. And that's why he says, if you really understand, nothing can separate us. No person, not the temptations or what the world offers to you, if you're living for him in this love relationship and seeking his purposes. What about your own flesh? Because you have desires. Once again, do you seek to fulfill them and corrupt what God has given you or do you seek him and his love? And Satan, make no mistake, Satan is still out there. This is a spiritual battleground. And even just something like nakedness where people are neglected. We feel neglected. Whatever it is, Paul's saying, these are just some examples of what can happen to you, of what you can blame, of what can tempt you away from the Lord and living into his love and living for him. And then you can begin to buy into, well, you know, maybe I really do need this for myself. Or maybe the world is right when it says. But none of these, none of these separate us. And Paul even throws this line in about being slaughtered all the day long, that we're killed all the day long. What Paul is saying is, much of what I just listed here, I've experienced. Many people in the early church experienced these things. And what he's saying in between the lines, if you catch it, is that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Well, if God really cared about me, this wouldn't happen. No, we live in a fallen world. God's not punishing you. God loves you. And we live in a fallen world with people that sometimes do sinful or even outright evil things, where we ourselves have our own struggles. And Paul says, I've experienced a lot of this. And I know, I know, that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. God does not withdraw his love or his offer. He comes back and he comes back again. And when we mess up, he offers us forgiveness. But he wants us to live into this love that he calls us to. Secondly, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. In other words, what Paul's saying is, the war is over. The war has been won. That's what the cross and the resurrection are all about. On the cross, he defeated the power of sin and death. He took it upon himself for our sake. 
that we don't need to go there. And then he rose again to show us he has power over that for us to trust and to live into his love. You know, we've heard the phrase, you can win the battle and lose the war. Ever heard that one? Well, let me tell you, the war is over. But the battles are still going on because the world and other people haven't gotten the word. Okay? You still face battles. You will battle temptation that will come because of your own selfishness. You will battle temptation that comes because of other people. You will want to hurt other people at times. You're going to want to succumb to Satan's wiles. You're going to see something in the world that draws you away from the Lord. All of those are battlegrounds. What happens with you, your marriage, your family, your children, your parents, it's all potential battlegrounds. But the war's been won. And we need to rest in that. And we need to get the word out to other people that it's over. That Jesus Christ won the victory. And that's why when it says, when Scripture says that we are more than conquerors, it's because the battle is over. You know, it's really interesting. Right at the beginning, right at the beginning, God reveals in Genesis what his desire is for us. He gives us creation and he says, I want to bless you with this and I want to walk with you in the garden. I want you to understand my provision. You don't need to have anything. But I'm giving you free will and just to impress upon you, there's one thing that you can't do. Just to impress on you, you don't have to do it all. You have free will. What happens? They choose the one thing. Right? Just to show they had free will, but that's because they wanted to be like God. Right? What does God do at that moment? At that moment, as they are suffering the consequences for their sin, he says, I'm giving you a promise. Even at that moment, I'm giving you a promise. I'm sending someone for you. And Satan is going to nip at his heel, but this person will crush Satan's head. The very beginning, the promise was there. The very beginning. And then he sent his son Jesus as the anointed one, the Messiah, to win the war. Because God's ultimate desire is to restore us to that garden, to walking with him, to living in that love relationship for all eternity. Thirdly, for I am convinced that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. I'm convinced. I'm not convinced because of my own strength. I'm convinced because I know he is able. I read his word and see what he did down through history. I see what he's done in my own life. I see, for example, as we read this morning, that he can feed 
5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He can take whatever meager offerings I have with my life and he can do tremendous things. And I know what he's done with me. I'm convinced. You know, what's the most powerful tool that we have at our disposal right now? Think about it. Computers? Electricity? Your car? I like my car. What's the most powerful thing you have? The most powerful thing you have access to right now is the love of God in Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? There are so many things that you have access to. So much information. We have nuclear power. We have armies. But the most powerful thing in the world right now that can change your life and change all eternity is the love of God in Jesus Christ. Are you convinced? Do you know that you know that you're not shaken by or drawn away by the temptations of the world or the flesh or the devil? You know what comes with the word convinced is convicted. Convicted. The first convicted you need to experience in order to come to this understanding is the depth of your own need, your own sin. That is being convicted. That repentance begins with conviction. Not dodging. Not justifying, not rationalizing, saying, I know I have a need. I know I can't be my own savior. I know I need a Lord because if I'd lived my life the way I want, when I want, how I'd want, it'd be a mess. And Paul says, I'm convinced. Because it begins with conviction. Do you ever try to convince someone of something? I mean, one of the things that comes to my mind most readily is my children. When they were younger, now they're all adults, so they're kind of on their own. But when they were, kind of, when they were younger, when they were younger, you know, you, can, you could say to them, you know, you're not going to do this. Oh, I really want to. No, you're not going to do this. You're not going to have this, but I really need it. No, you don't really need it. You don't love me. You hate me. I hate you. You know, it's the same thing we do to God. You don't love me because you don't do it my way. You're not really there. he says I love you so much I sent my son to die for you 
I want you to understand the depth of my love and the power of my love and how that can change your life and change every relationship you have so that you can know that you know for I am convinced I'm convinced do you understand the depth of his love that he's about your eternity and he wants you to begin to live in it now you know what's interesting is nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ except our own choice And what's amazing, when we choose him and we begin to become like him because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of his love, we become more and more holy. Guess what the word holy means? Separated ones. Instead of being separated from his love, we're separated from that which would draw us away from his love. And as we become more and more holy like him, we understand his love more and more. That's what he wants you to know. He wants you to know the depth of his love in Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on a cross in your place for your sin so that you could know the power of his transforming love in your life. Are you convinced? Do you know that you know? Do you care? Please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, how right at the very beginning of time, You let us know as your creation. That you love us. That you've created us and given us this wonderful place. And yet how often we turn away from you. How often you are the parent, the father, is trying to convince the child, I love you. And I know what's best for you. And I even gave you my son. So that you would understand the depth of my love. Lord God, amidst the trials and, tri- and tribulations and temptations that go on around us all the time. The battles that rage within us and around us that we can be more than conquerors through him who loved us, through your son, Jesus Christ, who came to be our Savior and our Lord. Lord, I pray this day that we would live into that love so that we can know that all things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We can be convinced that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and that nothing in all creation in all eternity that can separate us from that love help us to trust you and help us to live in this love 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.